Welcome to the We Fucking Love Startups podcast. I'm your host, Troy Hammond, and on today's episode, we're chatting with James Fuller. James is the co-founder of Henry, and you've probably heard all about it in the news because they've recently just raised $35 million to fund their growth in New Zealand and Australia. Really hope you love this podcast as much as I did. Go off and subscribe and jump on and have a listen. Thanks so much. Kia ora. Thanks for tuning in to the We Fucking Love Startups podcast, brought to you by Talent Army. Do you think your kids see what you and Claire are doing and think, oh, that's cool, I want to be an entrepreneur one day? I don't think so. <laughs> they, they just go like, why do you work in a tax business? <laughs> and it's like, it's not a tax business, it's a tax startup. And they're like, it's a cool tech startup. They just get really, really annoyed because yeah. they, they get targeted with all of our ads on every device they watch. Yeah. And uh, I, think it's, I think it's like, it'll probably become more cool for them as it goes. I hope it does. Yeah. But at the moment, it's just like Henry is the, the sibling that they never really understand. Yeah. So let's start with that. Why Henry? As in why the name? Yeah. Uh, we crowdsourced the name back in whenever it was 2017. We loved the the idea of having the name of a, a person and yeah. they're kind of almost like the idea of a concierge, yeah. uh, but a bit like Ask Jeeves, but yeah. less snooty. And yeah. uh, so we actually put it out to the Wellington startup community and we said, what's the name of someone that is friendly and approachable and fun to be around and really knows their stuff? And uh, yes, yeah, someone came back and it says, sound like my friend Henry. They're a super smart guy, really know their stuff, um, got great efficient ways of doing stuff. And then someone else jumped in and said, I've got a friend Henry who's like that. And um, yeah, we, we love the name, but obviously domain names are expensive. So yeah. you drop the vowels out of it. And you know, then we, we ended up with Henry. Yeah, that's going to be one of the hardest things about starting a business is finding a domain these days. Yeah. It's a real pain in the ass. It really is. And that's when you see the weird and wonderful names. Like we we ended up in the – when we first started, we had the .io domain name, the yeah. Indian Ocean Territories, you know, yeah. where all the best tax Well, because that's what that was – that was the cool tech stack. It you was. Know, that was like the cool the, thing. You got yeah, the .io. Yeah. And uh, I remember Claire, co-founder, saying to me early on, she's like – no one in New Zealand's going to trust a .io domain name. So we went and got the .co.nz and, and never looked back from there. What's the .com? Henry.com is a logistics company in the US. It actually got amalgamated into their parent company a little while ago. Uh, so it's a part of this massive uh, logistics conglomerate called Yellow Logistics. So it's a bit out of reach of us at the moment. Mm, so no negotiations there on, on the table at all yet? Not unless they want to come down in price, no. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah classic. Awesome, mate. Well, hey, obviously you didn't grow up and attend school in New Zealand. I did not. Yeah, you're from the UK, right? And yeah, so- yeah. And I have one of those really generic accents. That yeah, you do. It's it's just it's a little bit. It depends on you know who I'm talking to and how much I've been drinking as to which bit of the accent comes out. Because where where would you where were you born? Uh, so I was born kind of southeast of England. I spent most of my life living in London, but we yeah. also lived in Bristol. I went to uni in Manchester and lived there for a good few years, and then moved to NZ about eleven years ago now. All right. So what made you move over here? Uh, my wife. Yeah, she Kiwi. Claire. Yeah, yeah. So Claire was uh, Claire was originally from Wellington. Did her OE. We met working at a software company in London. And yeah, when my eldest was about about a year and a half, uh, like life in London just takes a, a really more difficult turn when you've got young kids, yeah. you know, getting around with a pram, those sorts of things. I was working stupid hours. And um, yeah, we, we took the call to like, hey, let's go and try things in New Zealand for a little while. So uh, basically packed up our stuff and I got transferred with work, which was really cool. And yeah, haven't looked back since. Awesome. And what were you doing then? Uh, I was a 
kind of tech strategy consultant. I ran kind of big global uh, CRM projects. Yeah, because you started life as a developer, right? Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, well, I, that was so long ago. I was laughing with someone the other day. My degree is called computation. <laughs> and like, no one calls it that anymore. So I have to say computer science, even yeah. though now I think it's called software engineering. But uh, yeah, I did a computation degree and um, I was pretty terrible at it, I've got to say. Like, uh, I, I left university thinking, if I never have to touch the computer again, it'll be too soon. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I actually went into, I was like a sales assistant on a, on for like a, you know, traveling salespeople for a while. I did a bunch of different jobs, worked in the billing department of a phone company. And then, yeah, ended up winding up back in development again uh, when I moved back to London from Manchester. And that's, uh, that was a software company that, that Claire and I met at. Yeah. What were you, what language are you using? Oh, it was, uh, it was a bit of .NET and it was a bit of, uh, yeah, it was, a bit, it was kind of back in the day. It was like, what was it, .NET, a whole lot of SQL. Like I yeah. sort of did a whole bunch of database stuff for my for my sins at university and still dabble with a bit of that stuff now. But um, yeah, very quickly realized that I was, when I looked at the people around me, I was just not diligent enough to learn what they were learning, like all of the new languages and everything, all the new yeah. frameworks. And so, yeah, it just became a point when I was like, I'm not going to have a long-term career in software development. Did you realize early, like, all right, I'm going to be an entrepreneur one day? Or? No, no. I was like, I don't know, people kind of talk about that entrepreneurial spirit. I, I once uh, helped my dad out selling some promotional T-shirts and uh, found the whole thing quite disappointing that at the end of it, he gave me one of the T-shirts. And I was like, <laughs> I literally deal, slaved my, my way around selling these things and you just g- gave me one of the things I was hawking. Uh, but anyway, yeah. What, I, what, hang on, what was the promotional T-shirt? What was yeah. it? Oh, my, my dad played a, uh, like a niche sport in the UK called Fives. It's basically like squash, but with your hands, uh, like gloves on, you know, kind of like squash. And um, yeah, and he, he was, I don't know, on the committee of this association. And so they'd got a whole bunch of this merch that they wanted to sell to all of their members. And so I was like eight years old at the time following these guys onto the court and saying I wouldn't leave unless they bought a 20, 20 quid T-shirt. <laughs> so I was nothing if not relentless. That tenacity has helped. But uh, yeah, I think my sales pattern may have improved by now. Yeah. And so, and then, so you moved to New Zealand, right? Yeah. And then you like, so went into more of a, was it a, Dev role again? No, no. So I was, um, when we left London, I was working in a big four consultancy, doing this yeah. kind of tech consultancy stuff, and then kind of transferred across with the same company to to Wellington. And yeah. similar sort of thing, but just smaller scale. So running running projects, doing strategy work for private and public sector. And then, yeah, worked for, kind of moved on from another consultancy, wound up after a while doing kind of contract work, just freelance doing kind yeah. of, I was actually coaching a few startups. And that was like a collective of you, wasn't it, from memory? Like- it was It was supposed to be a collective of us. <laughs> uh, it was actually just Claire and I, and we were basically doing, doing contract work, and that's how we kind of got a bit tired and frustrated by the admin that came from being a contractor. And yeah. we'd, we'd gone down the usual road that most people do of, you know, you go and get a traditional accountant, they sign you up for whatever flavor of accounting software they, they favor. And, uh, and yeah, we were just, you know, we didn't think any different of it until we, we sort of just got to a point where it was between us, just quite a lot of admin and hassle and yeah. made a couple of spreadsheets to make our lives easier. And, and that was when we were trying to, originally we were trying to kind of grow this collective of us that would go and do contract work. And, and what we realized was actually all these, these friends of ours were doing contract work, just hated the admin. And they said, I don't, I, I can get the work. Yeah. I just can't do the admin. And so we put them onto our spreadsheets and then one thing led to another. And we said, actually, we think we've actually solved a problem here. We've got something that people really need and we found a solution to it 
that, that no one else has tried before. Yeah. And so it's funny, right? Because a lot of times when I talk to a founder or see a startup that's blowing up, you think, shit, they've come around quick. You know, they get, but the reality of the scenes, they've been behind the business for years, like trying to carve it out and then get to a point where everyone starts knowing about them and yeah, they're yeah. like, well, the last 10 years I've been working my ass off. But I, I've known that you and Claire have been working your ass off because I remember like when I set up the recruitment meetups a lifetime ago that yeah, you came yeah. and spoke at one of those oh, you know, yeah. recruitment meetups. And we did, we did all of those things. Like we literally, you know, not to say I turned down that many speaking gigs these days, but we literally, we went to everything, every recruitment meetup, every, yeah. we even went to like marketing meetups, freelance ones. We, we used to go and present to like five people in a room at BizDojo and answer their tax questions and things. Like just literally grinding from like 2017 onwards just for every single customer. Mm. And so talking about that because, I mean, I have to admit, right, if I'm going to start up a, start a startup, working with the IRD, probably not on my big <laughs> list of companies that I want to work with, right? And so why the fuck did you do that? <laughs> um, well, I think it's one of those things that you, when you start, and, and like I had a weird conversation with someone the other day, and they were like, you're one of the, the region's biggest reg tech businesses. And I was like, that is ne- that was never the intention. Like, you don't start off and go, going to grow a fintech, going to grow a reg tech, or maybe some people do. What's reg tech? I've never heard it of it. It's like a regulatory technology. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's basically, you know, automation of regulation. Mm-hmm. Um, but we never started with this intention. We started with, we've got a personal problem. We want to solve that problem. We've got some yeah. friends who've got the same problem. And it, it really just got to a stage where we were solving this problem for a few people. And we said, well, actually, what's a way of, to make, what's a way to make this easier? And so combining together not only kind of the admin side with making the tax payments, doing all those calculations, all of that stuff was just a – it's almost like a natural progression. I, I think we – the first time we ever spoke to IRD, uh, they were – it's sort of, I think, stunned that these people were like, hey, we've got like a handful of customers and we want to go and pay their taxes for them. I just think it was a really odd thing for, for people to start with. I remember even we took legal advice. Claire and I went to a, a lawyer in town and we said, hey, we've got this idea. We want to we want to pay and file other people's taxes. Like we literally want to pay all their taxes in real time. You know, is that legal? And the guy's like, I have no idea. And he's like, I don't even know the first place to look to work out whether it's legal to pay someone else's taxes for them. And that was literally where we started. It's like, you know, and I, I, I don't like the whole word sort of category defining, but like when you're literally forging that path, you have to look at how are you actually going to go and make this problem go away? And just one of those things happened to be, you know, working with IRD who have, I've got to say, over the last couple of years been so supportive and receptive of what we're doing and where we are now, which is we, we, we now contribute over 1% of the entirety of New Zealand's tax revenue through our wow. platform. So, you know, we've got a great relationship with, with IRD and, and, you know, very different from maybe five years ago when they were like, who are these two people who want to pay other people's taxes? Wow, wow. So talk me through that, right? Go back to, to your two people, right? You've got this spreadsheet, your friends are saying, yeah, this is a thing and we like, we like this. Um, what's, what's the process? Like, what did you go through? Had you... Um, had you tried things before? I know that you'd done a little bit with like Credo HQ and the likes. Had you had some experience in this space and you knew what you were doing or you were just like, oh, fuck it, this, let's just try? Uh, it's a little bit of both, right? Like, so I'd been coaching in a bunch of, bunch of the startup accelerators for a while, working for Creative HQ. I worked on a bunch of their sort of things like Lightning Lab Electric. I did the one of, one of the coaches on the first uh, KFA FinTech accelerator back in whenever it was, 2017. And so I knew enough about kind of validating product market fit and I, like the structure of the approach, like yeah. how do you go and try and scale a business? I've been doing that coaching role for a few years. Um, and so I kind of, you have the, the kind of principle and you have the kind of, you know, the bare bones of it. But a lot of it was, yeah, let's just try it. Let's just yeah. see what works. And so 
you know, it, it's almost this combination of literally what we did in the short term right at the start was all manual. You know, we were copying and pasting transactions into internet banking in 2017 and, and even the invoices, right? The website that we first spat up, this WordPress website, this one page thing, if you put in, if you went and created an invoice, all it did was submit a form through to my email address. And then one of Claire and I would pick it up, we'd paste it into a, an Excel template, not even Google Sheets, like <laughs> Excel. And then we could click a button and it would generate an invoice that you would then attach to an email on behalf. And like literally every step of the way was purely manual. And then over the years, we just chipped away at that and said, okay, we can automate that bit and we can automate that bit. And sometimes it's about replatforming, but a lot yeah. of it is about, we always talk about like getting up to the rev limiter of what you can do manually before you automate and you can change gears and even now you know we still do the same thing when we're looking at new product lines and different things we're doing it's like actually how much you can achieve with just manual human glue in order to validate a proposition it's just it's quite phenomenal yeah because you'd have some interesting facets within the business with the all the different stakeholders that you're engaging with at all times right and it's yeah complex i imagine yeah yeah it's a lot more complex than i think we thought when we first started which is interesting right because i think you, you kind of whether it's naivety or, or just blindness, you kind of come in and go, "Oh, I'm sure this will be. I'm sure this will be fine." And like yeah. the resilience that we've built up over the last five years of like, you, know, you hit roadblocks with things, you find ways around. But there's almost like that 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 necessity for you to find a solution to a problem. That I think if we'd have sat down five years ago and said, "Hey, this is this whole piece that we're going to try and build," it would just be impossible. You'd just yeah. never get there. Yeah. So like any startup founder, right, you and Claire probably have worn 300 hats each yeah. over the years and then slowly been giving them away. Were you doing everything at the start? Like were you both developing or did you outsource? Or oh, no. We, we Like our skill sets like naturally sit in, in kind of different places. So Claire is very much uh, finance operations kind of people. Yeah. I mean, people management when it's just the two of you is, is, <laughs> is pretty big. But no, all of the all of the finance and accounting side and the operations has always been clear. And then we've both inputted into sales and marketing and the sort of and the product side. And then really kind of the tech side has been um, it's kind of more of my passion project. So, yeah. you know, getting some of that development work done late nights, evenings and weekends, just you know, have a, have a glass of wine and get some development done. I mean, I, I think Claire really enjoyed the quiet time of just me with my <laughs> headphones on until two in the morning, just smashing out some really, really shit code. Yeah, awesome. And so how, how was it for you starting up, like starting a business in New Zealand? Like talk me through, was it, did you find it a lot easier than you thought it would be? Did you find it harder? Was it both? I mean, the great thing about New Zealand is that, you know, that, that whole kind of couple of degrees of separation thing yeah. is so true. So the actual process of starting the business, too, it's just too easy. It's so easy to start. But I think the the availability of support is really, really good. So even just from a community and, and you know, think back to those recruitment meetups, right? That must have been like 2017 or 2018 yeah. or something we were doing those. and. Everyone is incredibly welcoming and supportive, which I think is fantastic. Like, have, especially Wellington, having a community that is keen for you to succeed and keen to see ideas get get fostered is uh, is really great. And I think you know we've always said couldn't imagine starting a business elsewhere. Like almost just even mentally, the barriers to entry for two people who are not trained accountants to come in and disrupt the accounting industry. It just in, in any other country would have seemed like it would be an absolute uphill battle. Whereas in New Zealand, there was that there's that attitude of like, yeah, yeah, let's go and do it. Let's you know, we, we can do this. And, yeah. you know, there's that that kind of spurs you on quite a bit. And you get a lot of support from other people who go, yeah, you can do that, you know, even from a small starting point. Yeah, it's funny that you say that, right? Because I even when I met you in the first place, I, I don't think it ever occurred to me. I went through my mind that you and Claire weren't accountants, nor did it bother or do we have it, that look is yeah that no, we no got? it didn't it, well, it didn't occur to me that you were accountant. i didn't 
I didn't necessarily think you were accountants. I just didn't, mm. didn't give a shit, you know, like it was yeah, an interesting yeah. product. And I was like, yeah, you know, it solves a lot of problems in our yeah. space. What, so for the people listening that don't know what Henry is, what is Henry? Uh, so Henry is uh, an automated platform for sole traders that pays and files all of their taxes. So it's essentially the combination of uh, the payments and bank account to have all your taxes paid uh, every time you get paid. It's the software that runs your business. That means that you can get every tool you need to run your business and do that safely and uh, compliantly. And then it's the actual accounting services itself. So we're one of New Zealand, I think Australasia's largest accountancies now, which again, not being from an accounting background is, is kind of a crazy yeah. thought. Yeah, awesome. And so how has it gone with growing into Australia? Because I know that's obviously doing really well at the moment, right? And so it, it is, and and you know, but it's like back to your point you were saying earlier, right? That you know, people look at it in Australia now. We've got a team of uh, 25, 30 people. We just opened a new office there. The customer growth is is amazing compared to the early days of New Zealand, where we had to literally hustle for every customer. We've got a great customer base that's huge. They're huge advocates. But what you don't see is that we started trying to get the ground laid in in Australia in like. 2019. It mm. was, you know, it's, it takes so long to to get into a market, to start growing, to build social proof. And, you know, we're not a traditional SaaS business. So you can't suddenly just, you know, flick a switch and open on a new country overnight. You actually have to, you know, go through the regulatory hurdles to get there. You've got to, you know, get people on the ground. You've got to build out the product. Um, but Australia, it's it's going great guns. But again, we you, you almost have to start again when you go there for a business like ours, where you're back to manual stuff again, yeah. you're literally back to square one, which is it's kind of exciting to go to new countries and go, cool, we get to apply all the learnings and you get faster and faster every time. But it's a it's a daunting thing. And it's, you know, it is, you know, a difficult thing to consider doing to go, okay, let's go back to square one, go back to manual, build this thing again, like we did in New Zealand, but very rewarding to see it pay off in a much faster space of time than we did in in back in the early days of New Zealand. Yeah, awesome. And so for the for people listening right that are watching that are thinking about moving to Australia, how important was it that you looked at tone and different in terms of personalization for Australia versus New Zealand? Did you just Kiwi fight and change a few things to get a mate who we're Henry or did you really look at your audience? Uh, we in the short term when we were just like testing the market, we we used a lot of the same ad content, Um, not tone. That's always got to be quite specific, but even just, um, even just some of the kind of collateral and photography that we had, we we just sort of repurposed it for the Australian market just to kind of get that validation. But as soon as, as soon as we, we were kind of really confident, we had that conviction that Australia was, was going to be just as big as New Zealand for us, if not much, much larger. We, we then just invested in doing things locally. Like we went down and got photos of our customers next to the Sydney Harbour Bridge and we worked quite hard to, with particularly with a team on the ground there, to be very Australian-focused for our Australian customers. We didn't like the idea of being seen as, oh, this is a Kiwi company that has happened to expand to Australia. We're actually putting down significant roots in Australia such that people can see us as being a real kind of trans-Tasman company, not yeah. just one or the other. And you're in Sydney? In Sydney, yeah, up in Tech Central, the new kind of development they've got up there by Central Station. That's Is that where the new Atlassian building's being built? Yeah, that's that's right across the road. It's, um, yeah, really exciting to see that come together. And, and mm. New South Wales government have been super supportive and great to actually have the office opening there two weeks ago. And Claire and I both went over. We took the kids with us. And, yeah, it was a really exciting evening. Awesome. Sydney's a great place. It's, uh, have you done the Harbour Bridge climb yet? Oh, God, no. I no. Yeah, highly recommend it. And not for someone who's got, like, mild vertigo. I'd probably say that's... Yeah, I probably wouldn't do it then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd probably get to the top and then I would freeze and yeah. they would have to, like, winch me down or something. Well, the good thing about that is that you go in a group of people and so you have people ahead of you and behind you and so 
as much as you'll shit yourself, you're like, well, I have to keep moving. Well, someone else has to step in it. That's yeah, fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just push on, come on, mate. Um, cool, mate. Hey, so one thing I really want to talk to you about is, have you ever read that book, Raving Fans? I have not. Oh. I'm going to be really honest. I'm a crap reader. No, that's like, right. I'm terrible. I can't sit still for long enough to read it. Read I, I don't normally reference books. I read a lot of books, but I don't normally reference, reference them on the podcast. But one thing that sort of, I, I, it's a great book. It's a, in terms of marketing and building raving fans for your company, right? And so when I saw, see Henry online, I, don't, I always say, oh, man, they've got such good raving fans. You know, like mm-hmm. your customers have such loud voices. And is that something that's just happened organically or is that something that you've tried to build or? Oh, no, it's been a really deliberate thing. Like we've, uh, and, and Claire's very much the architect of that. And, you know, I remember when we, it's funny, we keep having to update it, but she's, she used to say, you know, I want customer 100 to have the same experience as customer number one. And then we had to go, okay, customer 1000 has the same experience as customer number 10. So now I, I don't know what she's, what, what the latest one is, but it is a real deliberate thing for us to put customers at the center of everything that we do. It is you know, and and I've been accused in the past of, of being of caring too much for customers, but I, I genuinely both Claire and I and I think all of our team really take customer feedback seriously, positively and negatively. So, yeah. you know, it, it's always been the case with us that we've we've said we're building this for our customers, we're not building it for ourselves. And it's about what can we do to help our customers, what can we do to actually make sure they have the best experience. And if that is going the extra mile and doing things they wouldn't expect or or, or just um you know going out of our way to make their lives easier. Even for non-customers i remember during the early stages of covid when uh, all of the grants and covid subsidies were announced uh, sole traders were left completely in the dark about how it applied to them and we managed to uh claire kind of cottoned on to how difficult the legislation was to to really yeah. cut through and how traditional accountants were only focusing on companies large enterprises and so we translated all of the gobbledygook that came out of government into simple terms for sole traders and ended up supporting a whole bunch of the community that weren't even customers of ours. They would just come to our website, they would ask questions. And we made a call at the time that was, we actually don't care whether or not someone is a Henry customer. We're going to provide them the information that they need. We, you know, we might win some customers off it, but it was more about the kind of acknowledging the difficulty that sole traders were going through at the time because they weren't being served by yeah. anyone. So we didn't gatekeep in the information and, and we, you know, staff work literally round the clock to answer people's well, we questions. Sent, we sent contractors off to your website for that because it was so well articulated. It, it's something we, we, we worked so hard to do and I think that's something that you know, we love about our customers. It, it isn't just, we're not just like paying lip service to it. Like we do actually live and breathe it as an organisation and you know, if someone comes in and, and they've had a bad experience, we know sometimes people have bad experiences that's nothing to do with this, but we, we genuinely wear it. It's something that's yeah. like all of our customer care staff, all of our team, you know, even our engineers get exposed to this stuff. And it's it's so paramount to us that everyone has a great experience because that's what we are, right? That's, yeah. You know, we're only as good as the, the, the things that our customers say about us. Awesome. And so you, you've raised a bunch of money recently, which we'll get to in a second, right? But if we go back, did you bootstrap the business? Like, how did you go about building the business? It's funny to think of now, but we, we, we sort of started in early 2017 with like really limited run stuff. This is like us doing doing it for friends and having kind of yeah. 20 customers or something. And at that point, it was literally evenings and weekends or around the contracts we were doing. So we would do, you know, customer support requests would come in and we would be answering them in between meetings at our <laughs> existing jobs. Uh, and then you'd go home in the evening and you'd be like processing payments and doing stuff. And many a, many a family holiday ruined by having to leave where you were to go and find Wi-Fi to then process payments. Um, but yeah, that's, that was kind of stresses for another time. But um, yeah, we, we bootstrapped all the way until the start of 2018. And then... Uh, when we went through the fintech accelerator in early 2018, 
uh, I think we, I quit my job at Creative HQ and went full-time unpaid into the business and Claire followed soon after and we were unpaid, both of us, for a significant period of time until we raised our first proper capital into the business. So we sort of took the decision as a family that we had to give this a go. And yeah. it's like if we didn't properly invest ourselves in it, we would kick ourselves if it, you know, it's like do we have enough savings to last ourselves like three, four months? And can we scrimp on everything we can so that we give this a go and we give it a concerted three, four months. And if it doesn't work, then we go back to doing what we were doing before, but we have to, we have to try and make it work. And, you know, luckily it kind of, it worked for us and we were able to start paying ourselves later in 2018, like I think slightly after we started paying other people. But, um, you know, that was from there on in, it was kind of, um, you know, venture backed essentially, which, takes some of the pressure on but also uh, off but also puts some other pressure on at the same time yeah the market let the microscope comes down pretty quickly on your revenue yeah um, yeah but i think look, look, that's a massive move right for your whole family to say all right we're in the startup and we're not going to take any money and then you start hiring yeah. people and then you know they're getting employed and you're writing these com- employment contracts and you're seeing how much you're paying people and you're thinking well they own more than a whole a whole family yeah uh, and and just sort of even when we even when we raised money the first time you know startup founders in particular, do not get paid well when the money comes in because no investor wants to give you a whole bunch of money so yeah. that you can pay yourself. Yeah. They, they actually, you know, they write it into the contractuals that they limit your salaries. Yeah. So we ended up as a family, even when we were paid, uh, we our family income had gone down by fifty percent. So yeah. we sort of, and that and that continued for a couple of years, I think, before and we we were sort of contractually bound to not be able to raise our salaries. So it was it was a lot of sacrifice that went from literally unpaid 60 hour weeks to then getting paid but a lot less than we were earning but it was that continued investment in at some stage this is going to pay off um and you know it's been it's been a a pretty long road you kind of build up resilience quite quickly when Mm. like through those years where you're sort of you know really not you know not struggling but mentally struggling to kind of put two and two together of like where you're at and what you're doing, particularly when you've got two young kids who are seeing you literally burn yourselves out for this thing. Do you think it's harder or easier in terms of resilience when you've got young kids and both of you are in the business and both of you are taking a pay cut and, you know, trying to see the I, future? Yeah, I, I've always said, I, you know, uh, I, I don't think, and I think Claire will probably the same, say the same thing. I hope she would anyway, in that I don't think we would have got to where we are today if it wasn't for having each other be in the business you know we'd previously worked together but in different kind of departments of the business and I think couldn't imagine being on this journey with someone who didn't have the context of what you were going through and you imagine like you know if it were just Claire in the business and she has a day of it and comes back and you know, is able to articulate what's been going on, but I, I can't do anything to change it. And I'm literally sitting there just nodding along like, oh yeah, you know, investor meetings, that must be stink. You know, I had, I don't know, big project management meeting today or whatever. You're just going to be so on, on two different planes yeah. as to where you're at. But actually being with your significant other and having the joint resilience to go, no, we're both in this together and you can you can lift each other up when the other one falls down and support each other is it's huge. It's it's such a, you know, I'm sure if we were if we were not, sort of together um, as uh, as husband and wife or as partners, we would probably have walked away individually years ago just because it's, it is so tough. And I've, I've got massive respect to anyone. People say to us, how do you, how do you, you know, grow a startup with your significant other? And I was like, how do you not? Like if you've got a startup and your significant other doesn't know anything about that world, it's such a weird place to be in. And, 
you know, I, I credit the success of it to the fact that it is the two of us and you do have that shared experience and that shared resilience. And coming out to where we are now and you can look at the success of the last few years and go, we did that, not yeah. I did that and you were on the sidelines or whatever. But it was like actually we both did that and could not have done that without each other. Yeah, yeah it's definitely um, tough when you're starting a business, right, and you're going home and it hasn't gone your way and – you don't even want to talk sometimes, right? And you go, and then you have to be a father yeah, we, or a husband. We, we, we don't have that problem. We're, we're, well, I don't have that problem. I'm uh, just literally verbal, di- verbal diarrhea 24-7. But no, I think it's, it is it is interesting, right? And it's kind of like mm. trying to balance that stuff and certainly has got easier as we've done it for longer that we've actually got used to how we work and how we best kind of speak to each other about stuff and, and how we switch off and where, where our points are that we can completely switch off. But I think it's... Um, it's always going to be, regardless of what you're doing, it doesn't matter how big the business is, when it's you and a, a significant other, whether it's yours or otherwise, building a working relationship is so important to know what the needs of the other person are and, and what their sort of rituals and habits are that you need to be aware of when when you're having those kind of conversations. Yeah, awesome, man. So I recently saw a graph online come out from Icehouse. I think I commented on it in LinkedIn mm-hmm that showed this like true representation of hockey stick growth in terms of your results, in terms of revenue versus some other start- mm. startups in their portfolio. And um, I mean, it looked like a VC's wet dream, you know, on paper, if I'm honest. <laughs> so talk to me about like, how do you think you're able to achieve those like revenue numbers? Is there anything behind there that you can say, this is what people should do? Oh, it's, it's so tough, right? Cause you know, we, we're benefited by a bunch of stuff. Like I, I can, you know, Grit, resilience, hard work, tenacity, yeah. all that good stuff. Like everyone knows those things, yeah. but we... Do you think, well, do you think, let's stop there for a second, right? So before you answer this quick, there's a lot going around. I get this I get this question all the time now. Mm. As a startup founder, they're like, well, founders come to me and they're like, oh, well, what, what, do I play the nice founder? Do I play the hard founder? Do I play this founder? Do I this player? And I'm like, well, you're just going to be authentically yourself, right? And I think people totally. believe you when you're authentically yourself. And so don't try and be anyone else. But the ones that I see that tend to work the most are the ones that are, have a little bit more grit about them, right? And so you don't want to tell people you put grit on because then you just be unauthentic about it. Mm-hmm. But the ones that naturally have that resilience and grit nature about them tend to take off a little bit faster or, you know, longer. I- it's yeah. It's not particularly as binary. I think you you learn that grit and that determination, and it kind of it builds over time. And it's almost like, you know, our back back in the early days, like the knockbacks felt bigger, yeah. and you we got through them, and you know, you overcome those hurdles and the setbacks and some of the negativity you come across from from various people, and you you learn that that's not the be all and end all and you learn to rise above that and then so now the knockbacks are at not as significant and the, the kind of thing that knocked us back in 2017 not necessarily because of the stage of business but just the amount we've been through it's just put so much more in perspective and so yeah it's it I think it's something you develop over time and yeah. I think you just have to be on that journey you have to be prepared to develop it and that you're not going to be able to succeed unless you develop that grit and that tenacity and resilience which is a huge thing that i've ended up talking to a lot of early stage founders about is actually becoming more resilient over time and being able to be honest about that with other people because you've got to be honest about that journey and go i probably wasn't resilient you know four or five years ago i had a career in business before then but had never faced the kind of adversity of trying to get a startup off the ground but now i would consider myself more resilient but it's it's a journey to get there and you've got to play different roles along the way but to your point being authentically who you are and being honest with people 
is it's you know it's critical we always say like we're not the finished product i'm not sitting here going like i'm the world's greatest founder and ceo and you know even even at work like if you if you have a day when you know we we had i had one of these couple of years ago where i was super frustrated I ended up, you know, I ended up having a heated conversation in the office and then I came back to the team the next day and I said, I let you guys down. That was not who I am, but you've got to be open enough to apologize and go, I'm not, you know, uh, naive enough to think that I'm the greatest that you're ever going to come across, but I'm going to make mistakes, but I can still own up to my mistakes and show some contrition. And we, we kind of, you know, we, we talk to our team a lot about that, that it's, everyone's going to make mistakes, mm. but it's how you respond to that, how you own that and how you come back the next day and go, that wasn't me and I've made a mistake and I'm going to fix that or learn from it or whatever that might be. Yeah. Awesome. And so getting back into that track of like hockey stick growth then. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think that you've done differently or do you think that you've just focused on? We've benefited from some headwinds in terms of, you know, shift to more flexible modes of working and, you know, COVID where a lot of people started to consider how they were earning and, and, you know, decided to de-risk the way that they earn so as not to put all their eggs in one basket in a, in a salary job. But I also think the the general sort of mood in our industry, in the kind of, I say our industry, I'm talking about the accounting industry, which is very still a foreign yeah. thing for me to say, in our industry, um, the general mood is, is basically, you know, people are fed up with being taken for a ride. You yeah. know, the last few years they've realised that, particularly sole traders have just just realized that you know they've been forced to become more complex than they need to be they're taking on more financial pressure they're being bamboozled by jargon and i think the groundswell of it has got to a point where people are going i don't need this complexity in my life you know i don't need all of this nonsense you know and so people are looking at you know rising cost of living and and, and inflationary pressures and whatever and they're saying i'm spending so much of my time my headspace and my money on things that are not value add they're not additive to my business they're not additive to who i am and then it's a pretty stark realization when people go I've, I've actually been led astray for quite a long time and we've just been on the scene as a credible viable alternative that is more cost effective than anything else that's out there in the traditional sense and people are going that's what i want i want my time back i want my money back but i yeah. want to be as compliant as I can possibly be. And I want to have the opportunities to work flexibly and for, for whomever I want, whether that's locally or internationally. And, um, you know, so it's been a combination of things. It's kind of our focus on delivering those excellent experiences and providing something that really solves a problem for a customer, not solves a problem for us, but for our customer. Um, but alongside some, you know, some really good economic headwinds that, that and some sort of industry changes that, that basically le- are leading people to go, actually, Henry does all of this stuff lower cost than what I would pay elsewhere. Why am I still wasting my time elsewhere? Yeah. So, and when your customer is like broadly like independent contractors, right, does that mean that your product has to be quite across the board for everyone to be able to use it? Like talk me through. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's interesting. We, we kind of, so our market is everything from uh, gig economy, freelancers, contractors, tradies, health and wellness, retail, uh, real estate, um, literally you name it. Like we've got every possible job that you've ever heard of. There are self-employed people doing it. Um, and so we, we early on, we had that, had to take a decision. And I remember like our earliest version of our app was very much geared up at at contractors, the kind of white collar contractors, BAs, project managers, engineers. And the whole thing was built around this idea of a contract and you had start dates and end dates and, and, you know, various other bits that were very specific to that industry. And we very quickly realized when you've got your graphic designers signing up or your tradies and they're like, none of this is relevant to me. So almost we have to create a platform that works 
for all industries. I mean, yeah. we have some industry-specific stuff. There's some um, interesting things we do in the film and TV industry because they've got some u- yeah. sort of interesting niches there. But for the most part, it's saying, well, actually, the art of creating something simple is about creating something that anyone can use. It's that thing, you know, you, you shouldn't need an instruction booklet to open up and use this software. And so whether yeah. you're a trader or a freelancer... You guide people through the process in a way that means that you don't have to tailor the software to a specific industry. Um, and then it can be more appealing. You, you literally can appeal it to, to anyone you want to who can come in. And, and we do today. We've got, you know, dairy farmers and contract milkers and others, particularly in, in New Zealand, that um, they can pick it up and use it because it all feels relevant. Awesome. Awesome. And so I mentioned this before, but you've recently done a $35 million raise. Is that right? $35 million NZ? Yes. Cool. I get confused about currency. Yeah, yeah, same, same. Because especially when we're talking about Australia, I'm constantly always thinking, all right, where did the money come from? Was it raised in Australia, raised here? Um, so talk me through the process of that because this is something that's particularly challenging for startups at the moment, right, mm. is like raising money. And so people are like, holy shit, what do I do? Do I hold off? Do I just keep bootstrapping for a while? Yeah. Um, talk me through the process of going through that raise. So when, when did that raise start? So we previously raised our Series A. It was a we raised sixteen million in early twenty twenty two. It was late twenty twenty one, early twenty twenty two, and we we knew that given certain hitting certain milestones in in twenty twenty two that it would be. Um, it would be prudent to go out and raise again. Um, and, you know, that didn't mean that we, we went and spent all of $16 million in a short space of time. But when we look at our long-term trajectory and, and we looked at what the market was doing, um, it was a really interesting time. It was probably about um, June, maybe maybe June, July time, where we started thinking about it more seriously. And particularly, it was almost right at the point at which uh, the market started falling out of uh, capital and people just started freaking out. And... We took the call that everyone else is going to go and run and hide under the duvet. But we know that venture funds have already had funds committed. They need yeah. to deploy those funds. And what they're going to be looking for are high growth, reliable, good, profitable or potentially profitable businesses that are in markets that have got good growth potential. And so we looked at all of our metrics. We looked at where we were as a business, our ability to consistently hit our targets. And we said, actually, we're prime candidates to go out to the market now. Everyone's zigging and we're going to zag. And rather than put things off and slow down, we've never been ones not to kind of face this stuff head on. So we went out to the wider investment community. We said, look, this is where we're at. You know, we, we didn't need to raise financially. We weren't burning through so much money that... We um, that we were in some kind of desperate need to get capital in, and we well, said, "What was your runway at this stage?" If you, if you oh, say. runway of oh, at least a year, maybe even yep. a year and a bit. But we yep. said, "Look, these are the signs we're seeing in our in our home market and in and in Australia. Um, here's the potential." And we said, "Look, this is where things are tracking. This is where we've been the last four years. Um, this is what the next few years looks like." And so it was. It became more of an exciting conversation of actually going out to people and saying. You know, whilst it it feels like it would be the worst time to go out and raise for us, it was actually the best time because we've always been, we've always priced ourselves sensibly. We've always been very fixated on the data and the numbers, and our unit economics have always been quite on point. We've never kind of sacrificed our unit economics to try and grow at all costs or hire yeah. too quickly, and so it, it really made it for some made for some really good conversations with investors about fundamentals of our business and why it was a why it was a good bet for them. And I think that was. You know, we know 
from anecdotally that it, it, it was not easy for anyone. It wasn't even easy for us. We had some really good metrics and it was very, very difficult. We didn't close the round until it was late 2022, early 2023. So it was a good four, five, six months of really, you know, speaking to people, bringing them on the journey, you know, not just what sort of one month on, but literally like, hey, come and watch us for the next four or five months, watch our trajectory. And yeah. we, we said to people, look, you know, if we're here by October, we'll be here by December. And, you know, being able to hit those targets and show them that we were on track and, and actually ahead of forecast on a bunch of stuff, just really, it just stacked up and very, very grateful, really proud to have the the investors we do in, in terms of having the follow-on investment from the likes of Left Lane and having Ice House and obviously we have EVP as our largest shareholder, but having Airtree come in as well is a, is a huge, huge achievement for us. Like we've known those guys for years and yeah. having them come in and, and having them then be excited about the business is, you know, that's a really exciting thing for us. How's that seeing your name next to like a bunch of their portfolio companies, right? That must be fucking cool. That's that's pretty mad. Yeah. And then getting intros to a whole bunch of people that yeah. you've just seen on LinkedIn and stuff. And they're like, hey, do you want to chat to these people? And you're like, yeah, okay. And then suddenly <laughs> you have this like weird inferiority complex again when you're like, these are the cool kids. Yeah. Like, you know, but it's it, it's amazing. And there's such a good, there's such a good fund. And they've been, you know, we look a lot for cultural fit in our yeah. investors. We really want people that we gel with and that we you know, it sounds a bit trite, but like, could you go around to their house on a Saturday afternoon and just sit and hang out for a bit? And yeah. sometimes that's what you do with your investors. You just go and hang out and, you know, really like the Airtree team and their portfolio. And yeah, it's just, it's so cool. It's such a, like a feather in our cap that they would want to invest in, in our business yeah. from something that was like five years ago was spreadsheets at the dining room table. It's, uh, it's, it's very cool. Yeah, surreal, right? Surreal. Very surreal. And so what does the future look like for Henry then? Like, talk me through the next five years. I'm going to buy like six properties in the Bahamas. Yeah. Uh, that's usually the thing you do when you raise a lot of money. And then you, yeah. you, you know, build a crypto exchange. Build a crypto yeah. exchange yeah. and a bit of a Ponzi scheme. I yeah. think that's probably on the cards. No, I think for us, look, the, the opportunity is huge. We're, not, you know, not just geographical expansion, but we also, you know, you look at the Australian, New Zealand markets. There's so many people that we can help. And there are so many people that are out there that we talk to that it's almost like we're still in that position that people go, hang on a minute, this sounds too good to be true. You, you're paying and filing all of my taxes. The whole thing's pay as you go. You're also my accountant. I can speak to an accountant in my pocket, you know, and they go, what's the catch? And you go, there is no catch. Like we've literally spent four or five years automating this so that it's exactly what you need. And, and it's all fairly, fairly priced. And I think there's so many more people we can help in Australia and New Zealand. There are new product lines we can bring to market that we're very excited about. And then, yeah, for us, we know we're solving a global problem. And it's an exciting time to, with, with the kind of economical changes that we're having, it's an exciting time to be able to go out and go, this is literally problem solving for millions of people worldwide. And coming from a place where Claire and I know the problem intimately, like this was, a, this was our problem, like we yeah. lived and breathed this, to know that we can solve that for so many other people is, is pretty exciting. Awesome, man, awesome. And as it will continue to stay Wellington? Or do you think, are you and Claire looking at Australia now or is it? Oh, oh, we love Wellington. Like Wellington's such a great place, not just for the people, but just as a as a place to raise kids is just fantastic. Like I, I think the, you know, the environment here is so good. And, and being from the UK personally as well, like I don't find the weather here so bad. Like people yeah. bitch about the weather in Wellington. Like yesterday, obviously, cyclones notwithstanding, that was, that was pretty horrendous and North Island's been pretty badly hit. But on the whole, you know, I, I just think there's there's so few places in the world like Wellington in terms of the atmosphere and the people that I can't see us really going anywhere. Yeah, it's such a good community of like people here. It is. 
It is. Well, it's like, and that's the thing. I bump into you in a bunch of places and random recruiter meetups five years ago, and then and then here we are. And it's like, you know, we've been randomly in, in touch for God knows how long now. But what I love about Wellington is that you're, there is, it literally is like two degrees of separation. Yeah. And the randomness of bumping into people is is something I really quite like about it. I wasn't sure about it at the start, but what I, I mean, all of my past is in, in the UK. So it's not like I'm bumping into people from school. I'm, I'm yeah. literally bumping into work colleagues, friends, people I play footy with. And it's just really nice to be around a community that's you know very supportive of each other yeah i remember being an early recruiter and i'm an aussie who moved from the uk here and to build my desk or build my recruitment client base one of my original managers just said you need to get to the stage when you walk down landman key if you, if you need business you can just walk down landman key and i was like what the fuck do you mean by that and then like a year later, I remember I couldn't go down Lamnicky without stopping a hundred times to talk to people. I, and I was like, I, I got that. I got that the other week. And when they announced the capital raise, I felt really bad because I was on the phone and I was going down Lamnicky and people kept trying to say hello. And I had to do that really awkward thing. And I'm like, Shh, I'm on the phone, but hello. And, it was, yeah. and I'm terrible because I, I text and walk a lot. And so I'm sure I'm like annoying people all over the place by they're trying to stop me or say hello or even just try and walk past me and I'm just like head down trying to do stuff but I know what you mean it's kind of it's so nice to actually walk down the street and see people you know and not necessarily even like business contacts which I think is the nice thing you know just bumping into people is quite a nice feels like a village in a city you know yeah, especially when you raise big money and like people just want to come up and say congrats. You know, that's that's the thing. That I still love makes most. me feel weird, though. That's still like like we're not like Claire and I aren't showy people, and we're not like yeah. sort of I'm not going around like high fiving people on Lambton Key. In fact, it's like we've gone the other way that we go right. Hard work starts now. You know, we've we've sort of it's not it's interesting because generally people kind of look at the look at a capital raise and they go, oh, what a you know what an amazing achievement. You know, that must be a great kind of pinnacle for you. And you go, no, now the pressure just gets even bigger. And now we've got to go deliver on stuff. It's a, yeah. you know, it's a, a marker has been set and we've got to go live up to that now. So it, what's quite exciting about it is it's kind of like, it gives you that that renewed vigor that, that you go and do the same thing again. You don't sit back and go, I just go high five some people and go sit in the park for a while. It's like, yeah, yeah. I've got things to do. We've got to, you know, we've got to really scale this thing now. Do you have an exit strategy now or is it is it undecided yet in terms of what the future oh, looks I, like? I said to someone earlier, Claire and I are basically unemployable at this point. <laughs> like the yeah. idea of uh, the idea of going and, and working for someone else or someone else or not being involved in, in Henry, you know, like so in awe of our team at the moment they're just such a fantastic crew and you know i just can't imagine a time when we're just not in this business in some capacity you know it's 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 almost like at this point there's so much water under the bridge and we've done so much the hard yards and the blood sweat and tears and the manual transactions to get it here like this is the fun bit when you go cool we've actually you know we've achieved the sort of uh the status of you know, product market fit and scaling business. And now you actually have the, the opportunity and the capacity to go and really push all of the hard things that you wanted to do that you couldn't do back in 2017. And are you and Claire excited about wearing one or two hats now in terms of, I imagine your hats are largely strategy and investment, right? And so... A, a little bit, yeah. I think there's, um, I was saying to someone earlier that it's almost like we've come full circle, that we for so many years, we were the ones individually pushing ourselves to go and, 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 you know, to move fast and break things. And then as the business grows, some of that, some of that kind of gets a little bit lost, but now we don't wear as many hats and we're not so focused in the detail. We can come out the other side and go, okay, now we're going to give everyone the permission to move faster, break things and 
take the lead on on strategic initiatives and things that we're doing and knowing that we can apply what we've learned in the last five years to to go and make those a success. So it is a, you know, there's a renewed sense of excitement about our roles because they're less about being in the detail of the day to day and actually going, okay, how do we really push this thing? Yeah. And what do you see? So when you're talking to, you know, people from VC funds or whatever it may be and mentors, what are you looking at them thinking, yeah, that's what I need to start thinking about next or these are the areas that I need to personally grow in now? Oh, I, I think uh, there's so many areas that, I mean, me personally, there's so many areas that I'm looking to grow in. Like just generally, I think our roles have changed so significantly. So we're, you know, we're now at the point where we we need to be the ones who are kind of uh, enabling other people to, to lay the foundations for yeah. their team. And it's not about us kind of diving in and going, do this, do this, here's how you need to do it. It's going you know, saying to other people, how do you think you should put some guardrails around this thing? Or how might you do this? And so you kind of, you know, you're in that transition from, from, you know, player to player coach to coach. And I think we're both kind of really enjoying the opportunity of being able to be a bit more outside in, in our own business. And that's the kind of growth that we can see is actually, you know, being able to then empower those people who are working with us and create like a very cool team that is not dependent on Claire and I literally like dragging it by its bootstraps like we were four years ago. Yeah. Have you taken a holiday yet? We tried to take some holiday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, like every year we try and take holiday. We were going to take a big break in January this year and then, you know, things got busy and we ended up cancelling a holiday after a couple of weeks. But we're potentially taking some holiday in April. Uh, but we're, we're in that situation where, you know, Holiday is has always been a bit of a nebulous thing for us because you don't really take holiday. You're just not at work. Yeah, and just you're just working from the beach, <laughs> working from somewhere else. And so we're actually thinking of having a proper switch off holiday in April, which should be nice. But we have to actually put plans around it and go. This is when we do want to be contacted, and this is when we yeah. don't. Because we we looked at it the other day, and particularly with the kids, we we're like, we actually haven't had a proper holiday in like six years. Yeah. And and like I was saying, in the early days, all of our holidays were interrupted by me saying, kids, we've got to leave the zoo now. Daddy's <laughs> got to go and process some payments. So I need Wi-Fi. So, you know, I think it, it's almost like for the kids actually going and having a yeah. couple of weeks away, proper switch off. It's a reward for them as well, because they've put up with, you know, all the stresses we have. They've had the same stresses and, and be nice to just turn off for a few weeks and give everyone a bit of a break. Yeah. Not, not least our staff who could probably do with a break from us. <laughs> yeah, and raising money is tough, right, too. Like it's a big job that the, yeah. there's almost that, that feeling of like weightlessness after it's finally done, right? It, so. There is, yeah. And it's a big uh, – it's a really weird thing because you, you finish the, the actual – it's such a weird – it's like a climax, anti-climax thing because you get all the contracts signed and everything else and it takes months to get to that and the wrangling and things and you kind of forget – someone reminded me one of the things that happened during our series A and series B and you're like, I completely forgot that whole drama. But like all of these things happen and then the contracts get signed and then like the money arrives. But then it's almost like there's that only that small window between because as soon as the money arrives, you're like, okay, cool. Now we go again and now it has to go from here. So, you know, I think that it's the thing that's really made it real is actually when you go out and you talk to the media and you kind of release it to the public. And actually the, the thing that was really exciting to us with the number of our own customers that commented on the LinkedIn posts and, and the media articles saying like, this is so exciting. Like, I'm so pleased to be on this platform. I'm so pleased to be using Henry and I can't wait to see where it goes next. Cause that's the real testament to like yeah. putting the customer at the heart of it is when none of our customers jumped in and went, oh, that's it. They're going to go super corporate now or, you know, things are going to move slowly. They're all going, this was life-changing for me going from what I was doing to Henry and I can't wait to see what comes next. 
Yeah, that's awesome, right? And I think there's key things that you sort of talked about here, right? So when, when you know you're onto something when you talk to a lawyer and you say, can we do this thing? And they're like, fuck, I don't know, right? Yeah. You know, definitely onto it. And then you're working with ID to help change people's lives. But I think it's one of those products for me. And that was when I, when I said raving fans because I was reading a lot of those comments and thinking, a lot of these people are like, I don't know what I'd do without this now. Mm. You know, I don't mm. know what life would be like without it. And I think, you know, testament to you and Claire and everyone that's been involved, you know, you've done fantastic. And so, yeah, mate, well done, well done. Thank you, man. Really appreciate it. And and honestly, couldn't have done it without the support of the, the community. I think it's, you know, especially in, in New Zealand, the the wider recruitment community, the startup community and, and all of our customers, like this is this is why it's been a success, right? We couldn't have done it without the support of others and the, the advocacy of others going and recognizing, hey, look, this is something that, that can be life-changing for people. So it's, you know, it is a, it, it's sort of, it's taken a village, but it's, it's fantastic payoff. Awesome, man. I look forward to um, buying your token next. <laughs> yeah, you can, uh, when they foreclose on my hotel in the Bahamas, you can, uh, you can pick that up yeah. on the cheap. It's at rugpool.com. <laughs> uh, awesome, man. Hey, so the one thing I normally with like podcast guests, the last question I'll, I'll sort of leave everyone with is what makes you happy? Oh, man, what makes me happy? Uh, that's a really interesting one because like I could, uh, you know, I could I could find some bullshit to say about like some cliche some business, cliche yeah. business thing you know the kind of thing like I always joke about I like I'm I'm, I'm literally like and, and no offense to to you if you've done this but I'm literally like one week away from doing a LinkedIn post where I'm in my car you know the selfie yeah, in the yeah, car yeah. on LinkedIn I haven't done, I haven't done that yeah. have you not have <laughs> no. you not graduated to that I know I I take the piss out of people doing that I, so I might like take a photo of a car like without someone in it saying I'm I forgot to be jumping my car for this post but yeah, yeah, yeah. here's a post or whatever I, I honestly I just I think that's what people are expecting of me now is like motivational speeches from from the front of the car but like what makes me happy is actually I think knowing that what we do is actually beneficial for people because that's why we started this thing right yeah. and I you know but it's it's beneficial it kind of you get a good feeling from knowing you're bringing some benefit to other people like we're not we're not running a Ponzi scheme. We're not, you know, one of one of our staff members used to work for a betting company, and and he always says like, actually, this is this is not like fleecing money out of people. This is all about fairness. It's doing yeah. the right thing. It's not, you know, cutthroat business where you're trying to you know slash everything away from everyone. It's like literally you're you're doing good things and you're helping good people. And I think that's where both Claire and I get a huge amount of enjoyment out of knowing we're doing the right thing by people and actually really really helping them. And I think that's you know, doing, doing your bit to do some good to help people. And if you're giving people the opportunity to earn independently and doing it in a way that makes them feel happy and makes them feel safe, then that gives you a good feeling. That's like, that's, that's a good thing, but, um, probably should have said my children and my family, that would yeah. be a better answer. I'd probably, probably recut this. Just, yeah, but this is, this is an editable part. Just, here. just <laughs> cut this. <laughs> yeah. My kids and my family. No, I mean, I, it's all, it's all in one, right? It's kind yeah. of, I think if you're, everyone well for the most part if you're lucky enough to not have to work then good on you but everyone has to work and to be able to go and do something every day that makes you happy and that you can come come home happy from that's of benefit to those people around you and Mm. like I was a grumpy shit when I was in London like I worked too many hours I was way too stressed and I took it out on other people around me whereas actually looking at where we're at now and even though the stresses are so much higher in the business and the stakes are so much higher, I'm so much more of a better version of myself. And I yeah. think that's more positive for me as an influence on my friends and family that I can be a better version of myself rather than, you know, if I wasn't happy at work, I certainly wouldn't be happy at home. Yeah. 
Awesome, mate. Well, I think, you know, like uh, as a business, well, as like husband and wife in a team, I think you're only going to be a positive influence in your kids regardless. But um, it, it sounds like, you know, you're doing the right things, mate. Thank well, you. Man. Yeah, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. No, thanks for coming on, mate. All the best. Cheers. Well, obviously, James has run out the door to go and spend some of that $35 million cash. And I really enjoyed chatting with him. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. Just want to say thank you to everyone that's subscribing. You're really helping us to build this platform and find amazing guests to be able to bring on and share more with you. So for those that aren't subscribed, please jump on now and feel that guilt and like and follow and share and comment and do all the things to help us build this platform for the community. This podcast is produced by John Otaka from Empire Firms.